0: Hi everyone, it's good to see you. Um, I want to tell you as we begin about a visit that I um, had to Australia a few years ago. Um, it was between years at Bible College, we went over to, or just, I went over to Sydney um, and then travelled up the, the Gold Coast um, up to where the Blue Mountains are. And um, it was a really wonderful time. And I did what you know most of the tourists would do in Sydney you know, stroked to kangaroo. Uh, what else did I do? I ate some nice steak in Sydney, Sydney's for its steak I saw some Aussie Wolves football which was good fun Um, I went to Sydney Opera House and looked around and did all those those kind of things. I remember one day when um, I was walking along a headland um, along the coast of Australia Um, I just spotted off the coast um, just a little glimpse of a whale uh, just popping up from the water. Um, Nobody else knew it was there at the time, I just spotted it um, out in the water and at that moment, I think all of my kind of, English reserve went out the window and I just started telling everyone around me, have you seen the whale, there's a whale, there's a whale over there, <laughs> have you seen it? Um, I was so excited about it, there's the fin, there's the body. And um, I could just see that other people then started doing that as well, like telling to people around me, there's a whale, there's a whale, there's a whale. I realised in that moment, as the crowd gathered, that I'd become an evangelist for whales. <laughs> um, and probably the only time in my life I will be. Um, but it was amazing um, seeing this, this whale off the coast. But it did make me think, as I was uh, preparing this talk, my mind went back to that. Why do I often fail to have that kind of enthusiasm when it comes to my Lord Jesus and speaking about him? At the end of the day, a whale um, is just a big fish, isn't it? And you know, it might be quite exciting in the moment, but it's not going to change my life. But I know Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, Who died for me and who loves me, who is glorious in his majesty, um, wonderful in his mercy, generous in his love. Why am I so slow to talk about him? Why am I an evangelist for Wales and not so often an evangelist for Jesus? I wonder if you've ever thought about that question for yourself or wondered that for yourself. Now, we've been thinking uh, together about this great biblical theme of the mission of God. God is on a mission, if you remember, from the last couple of weeks, to bring rebellious sinners like us into his heavenly kingdom through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Harry's already reminded us of, we are caught up in this mission as disciple making disciples of him. More significant than the mission to Mars, remember the model that I made on Christmas Day. More significant than that is this mission that we're involved in as Jesus' disciples. And yet, why are we so often so slow? And so fearful to take our part and take our place in this mission. Why are we so often more excited about other things than about Jesus? I think that about myself quite a lot. None of if you have ever asked that question of yourself as well. That's what we're going to think about in this talk. Um, my aim is to try and uncover some of the things going on in our hearts, um, to do some sort of spiritual open heart surgery, if we can put it like that. And even though I think that will be painful, as it's been painful for me as I've thought about my own heart, I think in the end it will be good for us as we repent of our sin and as we uh, trust in Jesus again. So, here's the question I want us to think about why are we so slow to speak about our Lord Jesus? Let's think about three reasons. And I think as these reasons go on, we'll get deeper and deeper into what's going on um, in our hearts. So, the first one um, is that we're not sure what to say. Why are we slow to speak about Jesus? because we're not sure what to say what if this is uh, one of your fears as you think about trying to make new disciples of jesus as you proclaim jesus as lord what if we don't know what to say to those that we talk to what if our friend asks a really difficult question what if our friend asks a really personal emotional question for them and we're not quite sure how to answer sensitively or what if our friend just asks a really simple question And we don't know what to say. I think some of us fear that we'll end up like a rabbit in the headlights. Maybe we've been there before, just freezing up, unsure what to do and unsure um, how to take the next step in speaking about Jesus. But if that's you, let me encourage you with some words from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 on the sheet. Let me read these: 2 Corinthians 4, 13 and 14. Paul says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. I find this, these very helpful couple of verses because Paul gives us a very simple equation here we believe and therefore we speak. We believe those things that we've just been singing about, don't we? Um, If we're Christian, we believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that the one who raised him will raise us on the last day. And if we believe that, then we have every encouragement to speak. I find it really helpful to remember that God is not asking us to be a certain type of person to get involved in his mission. He's not asking you to have all the answers to your friends' questions. But he does encourage us to think, if we know enough of the gospel to save us, then we know enough of the gospel to share with somebody else so that they might be saved too. We believe, and so we speak. I think that many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, know that we probably have a good uh, go at explaining what um, the gospel is if somebody were to ask us. We'd have a good go, wouldn't we, at explaining who Jesus is and what he's done. We wouldn't do it perfectly. We might be stumbling over our words a little bit. We might be a bit scared as we do it. But we'd be able to say true things, wouldn't we, about Jesus? And yet we're still slow to speak. And so I think we need to go a bit deeper together. Um, if that's the first reason, we're not sure what to say. Here's the second reason we're afraid of standing out. With this reason, we're beginning to get a bit closer to my own fears. and I wonder if we're beginning to get a bit closer to yours as well. We're afraid to stand out as disciples of Jesus. I want to think about this with you by uh, looking at a few verses from 1 Peter that we looked at last term at church. You'll remember if you were here last term that Peter writes um, into a situation that feels very similar to the situation that that we're in. He writes to Christians living in a hostile world, and we found lots of points of connection as we were looking through 1 Peter. So I want to remind us of some of those things as we look at these passages together. Um, I'm going to read out three uh, short sections from 1 Peter. And as I do, I want you to have a little think, maybe you can underline things as you see them. How will people respond when Christians live and speak for Jesus? That's all we're going to be thinking about from 1 Peter. How do other people respond when Christians live and speak for Jesus? Let me read these verses, and then we'll have a bit of time to chat around tables. Chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. To abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Chapter 3 verse 9 Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Chapter four, verse three. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Just around tables, um, just for a couple of minutes, just share from these verses. How will people respond? How will the world respond when Christians live and speak for Jesus? Okay. There are some positive things, are there, in these verses that we should expect as Christians, particularly in that chapter 2 um, couple of verses. Um, some will see our good deeds and come to glorify God. Um, but there's also a lot of hard things, aren't there, in these verses about living and speaking for Jesus? And if those things we've been reading are true, then the question is: What would it feel like to be a Christian in this world? What would it feel like? Well, at times it will feel isolating. It will feel painful. Will feel like we're on the wrong side of history. Will feel out of place. Will feel strange. Will feel like aliens. be tempted to be ashamed if you ever felt anything like that. And why is that so hard? Why is that so hard for us to bear? Well one reason is because our natural instinct is to be in the in crowd, isn't it? To be accepted, to be liked, to be the same rather than to be different, to be loved rather than to be hated, to be considered good rather than to be considered evil. You might have read uh, C.S. Lewis' famous lecture called The Inner Ring. It's really worth reading um, in its entirety. And he describes in it this instinct to be in rather than to be out. Have a listen uh, to these words on the bottom of the, the page. He says, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside? We all know, don't we, whether it's a desire to be popular in school or to be liked in your flat or to be accepted in the workplace, we're so often dominated by this desire to be in the inner ring. And Peter says, by being a Christian, you are now against the grain. You are in the closest relationship with your Father, you're loved by Him, you're brought into the community of believers, but you are no longer in the inner ring of the world. You're now with Christ, the rejected, suffering Christ, who loves the world but who is despised by the world. And a lot of the time, I don't know about you, but that's not the place I want to be. And so we're slow to speak, we're slow to live for Jesus, because we'd rather blend in and stand out. Which brings us to the final uh, dive into our hearts. and The most painful one uh, for us to think about over the page. Why are we so slow to speak about our Lord Jesus? Thirdly, we're still holding on to our idols. Rico Tyson, his book, The Promised Evangelism, says that if we don't uproot the idols in our hearts, then we will never cross the pain line in evangelism. If we don't uproot the idols in our hearts, then we will never cross the pain line in evangelism. I wonder if you've ever tried to get a a small stump of a tree um, out of the ground in a garden. Um, I'm a really experienced gardener. We had a garden for about five minutes when we were in London. And uh, I know it's very, very difficult. I think I've maybe done this once or twice, trying to get a stump out. Really difficult. Um, To get deep roots out of the ground is is painful, it's hard work. You have to pull and pull, you have to hack away at the roots with an axe. You have to do everything you can to get rid of this thing um, in the garden. Because if you don't, then you know it's just going to grow back again and entangle everything around it. It's really, really hard. And that's the same, I think, with the idols in our hearts. It feels like that. If we're going to make any progress in speaking about this, we need to go deep and think about the deep idols of our hearts. There's no use uh, stapling on easy solutions. There's no use putting in place a few habits. But we'll need to get the ax out. We need to go deep, and It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard because those things entangle so much of what we do. So we're going to go there together and uh, think firstly uh, about this question. What is an idol in the Bible? What is an idol? I've been looking at the Ten Commandments recently in Exodus chapter 20. And the first commandment, I think, is a really great place to start. The first commandment for God's rescued people is this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. He is the Lord, their God, and he is a jealous God. Jealous for their loyalty, jealous for their service, jealous for their worship. He is the only God who rules this world, and so he must be the only Lord in our hearts. Nothing else is worthy of our worship or allegiance that is due to his name. But you'll know that that is not how our hearts operate, is it? John Calvin wrote in that quote on the the sheet, the human mind, or we could say the human heart, is a perpetual forge of idols. In other words, it's kind of a a factory of idols. It produces idol after idol, hundreds and hundreds of things that capture our attention and that steal our loyalty um, away from God. This is what we mean by an idol. It's any ultimate thing that we put in the place of the God of the universe. Now let's think about that by um, thinking about Rocky Balboa. Always a good place to go. Um, Rocky is a film from 1977, before I was born. Would you believe it? And uh, if you've not seen it, it's a classic David and Goliath story. An unknown uh, boxer called Rocky on the screen, Sylvester Stallone, takes on the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. And there's this conversation in the film that um, I'm going to read from in a moment, where um, it tells you what Rocky, what drives Rocky, um, to do what he's going to do in this fight. This is what he says. All I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. If you need a bum translating, you know, a nobody, you know, not just another nobody from the neighborhood. Do you see, he wants to prove that he's worth something, that he can achieve something, that he's valuable. And that drives everything, all the pain, all the training, all the sweat, all the tears, only he can prove his worth. Hope can take that down. And that's what an idol is. It's an altar upon which we sacrifice anything, whether that's our time, our money, our energy, our relationship, everything bows down to this thing that we place on the altar of our lives. So let's think about ourselves then, what are our idols, what are my idols? I wonder if you can identify status as one of the ones lurking in your own heart. We might spot this when we say things like, I can't say that in this conversation because my friends might think this of me. I can't speak up for Jesus now because my housemates will then know what I really believe. I can't be honest about that aspect of what I believe of the gospel because people won't like me for it. But the way of thinking about this is it's the idol of the inner ring, isn't it? And the sadness is our status, our desire to be in the inner ring is something we sacrifice faithfulness to Jesus for. It takes the place of ultimate loyalty in our hearts and it gets enthroned in the place of Jesus. second idol that lurks in my own heart, maybe in yours as well, is the idol of comfort. Whenever we make a decision to sacrifice temporary pain for temporary gain, then I think we choose this idol of comfort. And I think this often, so, so often holds me back from speaking about Jesus. I'm worried about the short-term pain that might come from that um, conversation. Maybe it'll be awkward. Maybe they'll think I'm strange or bigoted or evil or whatever it might be. And so again, faithfulness to Jesus and speaking of him gets sacrificed on the altar of my comfort. And it allows me then to retreat into my comfortable existence. What I've found over the years in my experience is that there is always regret in taking that path, but I never regret opening my mouth and speaking about Jesus, no matter what pain comes from it. I often regret not doing it, because I do know that the Gospel is true, and I'm ashamed and saddened that the idols in my heart continue to grip me and change the way that I live. Comfort. But both status and comfort ultimately spring from one source, the love of self. I think it's fair to say that self-love is at the root of all of our fears in evangelism. As Mark Dever uh, puts it on the sheet, we protect our pride at the cost of other people's souls. Jesus says, lose yourself for the sake of others, die to yourself so that others might have life, And instead, we choose to love ourselves, don't we, at the cost of our neighbour? And the more we feed that idol, the stronger it gets until we find ourselves unable to take radical steps for Jesus. And that was a bit of kind of heart surgery for myself, really, thinking about my own heart and maybe yours as well. And the question is what do we do when we spot these things in ourselves? What does God encourage us to do in His Word? Well, the first step, I think, is repentance. He encourages us not towards self-pity or despair, thinking, oh, what a wretched man I am, but to take these things to the cross and to hate, not ourselves, but the idol that has gripped us and the sin that has gripped us. Because we know that those things, that attitude, those idols that we have, are what took Jesus to the cross. That's why he shed his blood. We need to hate the sin That hinders us from following Jesus rather than love that sin. And we need to unmask it for what it is. It's a form of self-love that has taken the place of Christ in our hearts. Rico Tice says, if we are to share Christ, we need first to love Christ. And the opposite is also true. We don't love Christ. If we love our idols, then we won't be those who share Christ. Dear friends, the Gospel gives us space to think about these things, doesn't it? Because we know that in the gospel, Jesus Christ has paid for all of our sins by his blood. We have grace afresh for today. We have grace afresh for tomorrow. And we also know that as we hear his word and as we gather as his people, God will work in us so that the Lord Jesus takes his place more and more on the frames of our hearts, little by little. I thought about it uh, as we were singing this morning uh, the song that we learned last week, Oh, Praise, He's called praise, Um, And there's a line in there that that we sung this morning, every crown we lay down at his feet. And I'm struck by that, every crown we lay down at his feet, and I'm guessing that that's the crowns that we have in our own lives, in our own hearts, all of those things that we're tempted to put a crown on instead of Jesus, all those things we want to lay down at his feet so that he might be Lord in our lives and in our hearts as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Not self, but Christ. So let's pray. Let's confess our name Jesus. And let's pray for his help. Our Father, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who should take centre stage in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we are so sorry that there are things that entangle us, idols that enslave us, that mean that Jesus gets knocked off his rightful place. Father, forgive us for our love of self. Please forgive us for our love of our status. Please forgive us for our love of comfort. We thank you that the Lord Jesus gave up all of those things for our sake when he died on the cross. Help us to hate our sin. Help us to love our Saviour. And please help us, Father, to take uh, gradual steps towards enthroning the Lord Jesus in our hearts more and more so that we might speak of him more boldly. And we pray for this sake. Amen.